So uh, let me get into this. Um, I took a college course. One of my favorite courses I took is called Christian uh, Christian Evidences, and um, and it was is a it just it, it was a wonderful course. And, and one of the books that we used is Josh McDowell's uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Not this book is a, is a blue book, and and um, this one is volume two, uh, but volume one is what we used. And I say all that because. I can't find that in my office now, and I'm thinking I loaned it out to somebody. So if anybody's got that book, I'd love to get it back. That's why I said that. Uh, so, but in that course, we, we, um, it, was, it was centered around one verse, 1 Peter 3.15. And that's where we're going to be today. In 1 Peter 3.15, this is what it says. In your hearts, set apart Christ, Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Two things that were drilled into me in this class. One is that we, as Christians, we should be prepared with the Word of God. We should know the Word of God. We should know how to, how to handle the Word of God. We need to be prepared. And I would ask you, do you know that you know that you know, you know that Jesus is Lord, that, that, that Jesus died for your sins? Can, can you, do you understand it? Do you know it? Are you prepared? And, and so, first of all, are you prepared and for two, one, one for yourself, and secondly, for the people that you come in contact with who don't know Jesus. We need to be prepared so we, our faith is strong, and we need to be prepared so we can help other people with their faith. Because this world has questions. People, people are asking questions. Who made God? Is there a God? Is God knowable? Is there really a heaven and a hell? Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? All these questions, and I don't have answers to everybody's questions, but there's some basic questions that we should know, some basic questions that we should be able to, 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 to answer. And why are these people asking these questions? Some people are just inquisitive. People just, they have a thirst for knowledge, um, and, and they just want to know more about Christianity. They want to know more about the Word of God, so they're inquisitive. Some people want to know, they, they, they ask questions because they're argumentative. They just want to debate somebody. But some people are asking these questions because they're desperate. Their way's not working. And they know their way's not working. And there's something about you. And they want it. And they, and they don't understand it. Can you explain it? Are we prepared to give an answer to a world that's asking questions? I want to take you, you know, to, to Jesus and his ministry. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. These are the words of our Lord and Savior. He's, God sent me, I'm sending you into this world for this reason. In Luke 19, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Why did Jesus come? What was his mission? To seek and to save the lost, to bring you to God. And, and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you to do the same thing. Jesus had a mission to bring people to God. You and I have a mission to bring other people to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We become the righteousness of God and we live for, 
We live for the unrighteous to, to bring them into relationship with God. I, I saw this, George Barna, he puts out this, uh, what Christians think it means, or what Americans think it means to be a Christian. What the typical American thinks it means to be a Christian. Uh, before I give you the answers here, uh, what, what's in your head? What does it mean to be a Christian? And the answers that Americans give, 22% say they don't, they don't know, they don't have a clue. And 21% say to live differently than other people. Christians are called to live differently than other people, kind of like the Amish. I guess we're like that, you know. Uh, we're just different, okay? Um, why are we different? We've got to go back. Why are we different? 19% say it's to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's, that's a good answer. And 14% says to love others and to help other people. 14% says to believe in God. 11% says it's to go to church and be religious. Really? Is that all it is? Is that what being Christ, uh, Christian is all about, just go to church and be religious? 10% says it's about being a good person. Is that all it is? Christianity is just to, to teach people how to be a good, good person? Every Christian is called to be involved in, in winning the loss to Christ. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you realize there's a world out there going to hell, do you see, do you see how serious this issue is? And I go back, are we prepared? Are we prepared? I saw a quote by Vance Havner. I got this up here. I, I, this is what he says. I, I know there are some that are always studying, studying the meaning of the fourth toe of the right foot of some beast of, in prophecy, and they've never used either foot yet to tell people about Jesus. That, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, some of the, some of the things that we study and talk about and, and dive into, how's that going to help anybody? We just need to tell people about Jesus. He says, I do not know who the 666 in Revelation, in, in the book of Revelation, but I do know this world is 666, and the best way to speed the Lord's return is to win more souls for him. That was a profound statement. Um, we need to be about telling people about Jesus. Are we prepared? Are we prepared? And how? How do we tell the world about Jesus? No, a world that doesn't want to hear about him. A, a world that doesn't, they, they think Christians are fools. How do we create a thirst with, with, with people who are so far away from God? There's an old saying, you, know, you, can't, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I've always liked the response to that. Yes, you can. You can put salt in his oats. Then you can make him thirsty. Now, are we doing anything to make the world thirsty for Jesus Christ? A world that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, I think there's ways that we can, we can create a thirst among our friends, our family, our coworkers, where, where they, they ask questions, not, out, not to be argumentative, but out of desperation. They want what we've got. And, and, and the first way that I see here in our text, give them the reason for the hope that you have. We, are you hopeful? Can the world see the hope that you have? There should, be, there should be a drastic difference between a Christian and a non-Christian because a Christian, we live in a world that is hopeless, Hopelessness is everywhere. People all around us without hope. One of the greatest opportunities we have as Christians is offering the hope that we have to people who are hopeless. Do you have this hope? This hope that I'm talking about? Where does this hope come from? Can the world see this hope in you? Can they see you? There's something about you. They don't know what it is, but there's something about you. And you know what it is? It's because you are a person that's living in a life with hope, an eternal hope, a hope that comes from Jesus. The hope that we have is Jesus has given us abundant life, not just in eternity, but here now. Jesus gives us peace with God. 
This is the hope that we have. Jesus gives us a promise of eternity with him forever. This is the hope that we have. I love Romans 8, verse 11. I try to throw this in as many times as I can on a Sunday morning. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through through his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us and will raise us from the dead. This is the hope that we have. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can, we can ask. Last night, me and Stephanie went to the hospital. We saw Andy. Andy usually sits up here on the front row of second service. And um, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer, um, 11% chance of survival. He had a surgery Monday cancer-free. Um, we, we were praising God Monday, Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday. We were praising God. And then he was, uh, had a fever and infection and, and was placed on a ventilator. Things looked bad. Yesterday he came off the ventilator and he looked great. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, miracle after miracle. This is the kind of life that we live because we, we put our faith in God because so many people were praying for Andy. We were seeing God do miracle after miracle after miracle. We are a people of hope. Can the world see this hope that we have? This world desperately needs to hear about this hope that we have. We are hopeful. So, so first way you can, you can be, be prepared is be hopeful. Uh, be prepared for action. Um, first Peter says, First uh, Peter 3, always be prepared. Second Timothy 4, verse 2 says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Are we prepared? Prepared for action. What I mean by are you, that, that comes living a holy life. First Peter uh, 1, verse 15, uh, just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy for I am holy. Are we living a holy life? That is, that is a great step in, in showing the world there's a difference between you and them. And, and, and creating a thirst where they're going to ask questions, why, why are you different? It's because you're living a holy life. You're living the life that God called you to live. Last week we studied the 1 Peter 3 verse 8. Finally, all, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. I saw somebody label that the original high five right there. We, we live in harmoniously. We, we're sympathetic. We, we love. We, we're compassionate. We're humble. At work or at school, what this means is people see the difference. You do more than your share on the project. People see that you're grateful at the job site or at school. People see that you're, you're not participating in the gossip. Um, you're always doing your best. You're kind. You don't give in to the pressures of your, of your fellow students or coworkers. You're sensitive to anyone who is sad or hurting. You admit when you're, when you're wrong. You apologize when you hurt somebody. You say only positive things about your husband or your wife or your children or your parents. You smile a lot. And the world sees there's a difference. Because you're living a holy life. You're living a life for God. You, you've been set apart from this world. And the world sees a difference. This, this happened um, uh, in my Navy days. Um, uh, so the whole story, if I, if I got time for the whole story, is that um, when, when I was shipped off to Wales, um, I remember being on the plane, and, and in, in my head, I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. That's what I was thinking. 
It didn't happen. Um, but, but I was so on fire for the Lord. I wanted to tell everybody about the Lord. And I get shipped off to this little base, 400 people, and I'm trying to live my life for the Lord. I'm trying to tell people about Jesus. I'm trying to make a difference, and it wasn't working. Nothing was working. And I couldn't find any Christian for, to, to, to support me, to encourage me. I couldn't find a church to, to worship at. I mean, they, they had cathedrals with 11 people in them, and, and they were just dead. And um, so I, I felt all alone. And after six months, I got called to the base and uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, there was a problem, and I had to come in. I had to fix the problem. And uh, a lady at the gate, she opened up the gate for me, and, and she said, Pete, um, when you get, when you get uh, done with your work, come in here and talk to me. And I didn't know what it was about, so, but I get done. I come in. I'm like, what, what's up? And she says, I've been watching you. And, and she said, I used to be like you. I need you to help me get back. And that was, I, I was at the point of giving up myself. And when she said that, she saw something different about me. And the two of us together, we started a Bible study, and then it grew from there, and it, become, it became something really special. Um, but it's because I was trying to live my life for God. Somebody took time, somebody noticed, somebody asked a question. A very rewarding thing for me. Rodney Stark, he, he says there are several things about the early church that set them apart. First of all, they, they were multi-ethnic. There was multi-ethnic unity. You had the Jews and the Gentiles actually worshiping together. The walls of hostility came down. They, they were radically generous. Uh, they, 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 they cared for the poor to the, to the point that, that the emperor noticed. The emperor, there's a famous letter that says the, the, the emperor Julian, he says these godless, godless Galileans, he called them godless because they didn't worship the, the gods of Rome, these Christians, these godless Galileans care not only for their, their poor, but for ours as well. And what, Rome took notice of these Christians. The, the Roman emperor took notice of these Christians. In the church, the church, there was a regard for all life. It was, it was common. If a Roman family had a baby they didn't want, they would just leave it out on, at, the tra- at the trash overnight. And the early church practiced things called baby runs. Members would walk the streets at night listening for the, these discarded, discarded babies. And soon churches were filled with new babies, usually baby girls that were discarded on the streets. It was these things that set the church apart made the church radically different from the world. And the world started asking questions. The world asked, because the world took notice. So, so we're prepared, we're, we're hopeful, we're prepared for action, we're holy, we're going, to be, we're going to live holy lives, we're prepared for accusations, we know they're going to come, we, we live in a world that, 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 they, that rejects Christianity. In, in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. They accuse you of doing wrong. What are you going to do when, they, when the world accuses you of doing, doing things that are wrong? Are you going to stop living for Christ? Are you going to stop being holy? Are you prepared for this? You know it's going to happen. Accusations are going to come. Mark Twain, he says, few things are harder to put up with than anyone who's a good example. Um, the annoyance of, of someone who's a good example. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets on the world's nerves when you're, when you're holy, they don't, they're convicted. They don't like it. So we're prepared for action. We're prepared for accusations. We're prepared with the right attitude. Look at 1 Peter 3, 15. Um, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's how it's done right there. Set apart Christ as Lord. 
Honor Christ as Lord is uh, the, the ESV. Honor Christ as Lord. Revere him as Lord. I think the NIV says that. Um, I believe our preparedness is directly linked to Christ's lordship. If he is truly the Lord of your life, I think there are a lot that you will naturally be prepared. If Jesus is just your weekend, ho- uh, weekend hobby, you're not going to be prepared. When, when the world has questions, when, when, when somebody in your family is lost and hopeless and, and Jesus is not your Lord, you're not going to be prepared. So i got to ask you right there, is Jesus truly your Lord? Not just somebody that we talk about, but the Lord of your life, the master of your life. You know what that means? That means he calls the shots. We have surrendered our life to him. We acknowledge he is king of all kings. He's everything. So when Jesus tells us to do something, we do it because he's truly Lord. If, you don't, if you're not being obedient to Jesus, then he's not truly your Lord. He's just maybe, maybe a hobby. Um, Jesus says, when I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We lift Jesus up when we set him apart as Lord. We lift him up when we put our hope in Christ. We lift him up when we live, when, when we live lives that are holy and pleasing to God. We lift him up when we tell others about the hope that we have in Christ. Um, that's when we lift him up. So we're ready for action. We're ready for accusations. We're ready with that right attitude, and we're ready to answer. This is how we seize the opportunity. Well, first of all, you got to create the opportunity. After you create the opportunity, then you got to seize the opportunity. Colossians 4 verse 5, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Are you seizing the opportunity? When they ask questions, are you answering? we got to be ready to answer. Always be prepared to give an answer. Let me, let me break that word down to you. Answer. It's in Greek, that's the word apologian, from which we get the word apology. Um, now, to give an answer doesn't mean you're, you're, you're saying sorry for anything. To, to give an apology in the, in the original Greek, the original meaning was to, to give a defense. To give a defense. It's, it's from the, the, I got this up there, Greek, the Greek uh, apple from uh, logian, logic. You're, you're logically giving reasons for the hope that you have. You're giving a defense. It's, uh, I read this. It's like a, a lawyer's defense. A def- defense attorney will work painstakingly, sometimes late into the night, preparing his final presentation in the court. Every word, every expre- expression is carefully measured. He runs the entire address over and over in his mind, always aware that the fate of his client will depend on his words. You know, the, we, we understand the fate of someone's soul depends on our preparedness. If we're not prepared, they're not going to get their questions answered. They're not going to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord. And God doesn't require you to be a great orator. But the command here is we should be prepared. You might, like me, you might not speak so good. Have you noticed? I don't speak so good. I I relate really well to Moses. I don't speak so good. That's not an excuse. Jesus still told me I got to preach, so I'm preaching. You might not be able to speak so good. There's no excuse. You're still supposed to be prepared. Are you prepared? And, and how do you prepare? I got, I got a couple things here. First, are you prepared to give your, your testimony? One of the greatest, easiest defenses that we can give is our own testimony. 
They can argue with you over points of theology, but nobody can argue with you over your testimony. Your story is your story. Are, can you give your story to somebody? Can you give your testimony to somebody? I want this to be like a homework exercise for you. We, we did this in three-thirds group. I think a wonderful thing to be able to, to look at your life. My life, I'm not going to tell you my whole story here, but I grew up in church. All my life grew up in church. And I would tell you I was basically a little Pharisee. I knew all the rules. I knew how to be religious. But my story didn't really happen until I turned 17 and I rebelled against God and experienced the grace of God and was blown away by the grace of God and it radically changed everything about me. And, and, and then there was, a, there was a change. There was a, radically cha- a radical change in my life because of that. Can you, is there a time, who were you before Jesus? Here's the question. Who were you before Jesus? What caused you to come to Jesus? And how has your life changed as a result of coming to Jesus? That's your testimony. I, I, really, I beg you to, to go home to, today, this week, and, and write that down. Write that down. And then share it with somebody. Do you have a testimony that, that, you, can, that you can share with somebody? How, how Jesus Christ changed your life. Another thing we've, we've done in three-thirds group is, is something called RAMP. Um, RAMP stands for, uh, being to, 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 R stands for resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. You, you, you explain the resurrection. A is the apostles' testimony. You, you look at what the apostles did and how they gave their lives to share with people the hope they had. Um, M is the miracles. You talk about the miracles that Jesus performed and how he had power over disease and power over demons and power over death. And, and, and then and P is for prophecies, the, the, all the fulfilled prophecies in the Bible, which is, is something else that really got to me. When I, when I looked at Psalm 22, when I looked at Isaiah 53, and some of these written, you know, a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, you know, uh, 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus, and I was blown away by these fulfilled prophecies. It strengthened my faith. And, and, and as a result, it gave me some tools that I can share with other people, hopefully to strengthen their faith. So, 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 you know, a couple of other things in three-thirds. We learned Rocky. Anybody remember what Rocky stands for? Don't, uh, or bless. Um, that's uh, all these ways to create the opportunities. Uh, bless is how to pray for somebody. You pray over their body, their, their physical health, their, their labor, their work, uh, emotions, their, their, their social um, uh, relationships, their spiritual walk. All these different acronyms. And one more acronym that we didn't do in three-thirds is uh, KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Okay, so I think it's a, it's a good one. Uh, keep it. Don't use church words and don't get too deep with anybody. Just just tell them how Jesus is your Lord. All these different tools that we have to be prepared, so you can be prepared. So we seize the opportunity. We're ready to answer, but do this with gentleness and respect. Be kind. Be respectful. Um, it's what it says in, in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the, ho- the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I heard one guy, he said he didn't like his last preacher because he, he, he told them all that they, they deserve to go to hell. And the new preacher says, well, I told you the same thing. He says, yeah, but you say it like you don't really want us to go there. Uh, so, I mean, how are, you tell- how are you telling the gospel to somebody? How are you telling people about Jesus? As if you want them to go to hell? Or you're trying to save them from hell? Have you seen some Christians are giving us a bad, bad reputation because they seem like they, they want people to go to hell. And no, it breaks our heart to think what, what the Bible says, that their fate is, their eternity, if they reject Jesus. No, it should break us. It should break our heart. And we, we need to be gentle. We need to be respectful. Don't be abrasive. Uh, 
Don't, don't turn people off. Be, because it's really not about logic. You can, be, you can be so logical, you can explain everything, you can have a master's degree in this stuff and try to explain everything. People don't care about the knowledge. They care if you care. Do you love them? Do you care about them? I, I, I really think our logical, wonderful explanations aren't going to save too many people. But if we care about them, if we show them that we love them, that will break through their heart. That... That might work. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. The world is not our enemy. The world is our mission field. And it was very helpful to me that when, when somebody said, you know, we, we need to stop looking at people who don't believe as our enemies and start looking at them as their prisoners of war. They've been taken captive by Satan. And we, it's our job to liberate them. We've got to liberate them. Jude 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful. So give a defense, but don't, be, don't become defensive. Be gentle. Be respectful. Remember, you represent Jesus. I say all this, and it made me think about Peter himself, who wrote this. And, 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 and I would take you back to Matthew 26, before Jesus died on that cross, when Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And what happened after Jesus got arrested? Remember that, that, that girl that came up to, to, to Jesus in Matthew 26? Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him. You also were, were with Jesus of Galilee. She wasn't really asking a question, but she was making an accusation. You, you're one of them. And what Peter, Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went on out of the gateway where another girl saw him and said, said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there uh, went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. And he began, what did he, you remember this? He began to call curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. So when, when the world came to Peter, this great opportunity that Peter had right here, he failed miserably. He wasn't prepared. He was not honoring Jesus as Lord he didn't answer with gentleness and respect, calling curses on himself. He failed miserably. And it's, it's Peter who's writing to us, hey, you got to do better than what I did. I had a great opportunity for me, and I failed miserably. So, so Peter's telling us we need to be prepared. And Peter got prepared. In Acts, Acts 2, verse 12, it was to say, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And Peter got up and, and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and, and all of you who, are, who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. My, what, a, what a radical transformation that was. He failed miserably in Matthew 26 and here in Acts, Acts 2. And you see it in Acts 3, you see it in Acts 4, you see it in Acts 5. Now Peter is prepared. And now Peter is exalting Jesus Christ as Lord. Now Peter's looking for opportunities. And here Peter is speaking with reason, and not just reason, but also with gentleness and respect. So Peter knows what he's talking about when he tells us we need to be prepared. Nothing worse when somebody asks you a question about eternity and you don't have the right answer. Oh, that's, that's bad. So we got to do better. That's why we equip ourselves. That's why we go to Sunday school. That's why we do Wednesday nights. That's why we study our Bible throughout the week. So we can be prepared. It starts with making Jesus Christ as Lord. Is Jesus truly your Lord? 
What's at stake? What's at stake? The eternity of people's souls are at stake. People matter to God. God loves them. He sent his son to come get them. He's sending you and I to get them because he loves them. Your friends, your, your family, your coworkers. Let me end with this. Peter, uh, no, this Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager. Have you heard this? He says, you must believe or not believe that God, that God is. Which will you do? And he compares it to a game of heads and tails uh, that will decide your judgment. Heads, God is real. Tails, he's not. If you live betting on heads, God is real. And it comes up tails. What did you lose? Waking up early on Sunday morning, you know, putting some money in the offering plate. All that time that you were being good when you could have been bad, you know. What, what did you lose? Uh, uh, well, that's terrible. You lost all those things, you know. What if you bet that God is not real? Um, you were betting on tails, and it comes up heads. Ooh, I heard that. What, what did you lose now? What did you lose living your life as if there is no God? And whoops, judgment day, there is a God. What did you just lose? You lost eternity in heaven. That's, that's a bet you don't want to take. For this reason, you and I, Christian people, people who, who've made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, in our hearts we need, need to set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But we do this with gentleness and respect. The world has questions. Are you prepared to answer them? I've got some homework in your outline. If you've got an outline, I'd love for you to memorize this verse. Memorize this verse. Apply this verse. I would ask that you write out your testimony this week. What has Christ done for you? Write out in non-technical terms why your friends need Jesus Christ. Write out some spiritual questions and then, and then go to the Word of God and, and, and try to find the answers so that you are prepared. Let's get prepared. Let's be prepared. The world needs us to be prepared. Jesus is asking us to be prepared.